Welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio, your source for breaking news, business trends, and economic forecasts here and abroad that impact one-third of America's economy. And now your hosts, Lou Weiss and Tim Grady. And this is Tim Grady. I'm here with my co-host, Lou Weiss, and we're going to be speaking with Dr. Chris Keel today, who is from Armada Corporate Intelligence. We had the pleasure of meeting Chris at the Fabricators and Manufacturers Association International Show called FabTech, which, by the way, is coming up this November in Atlanta. You need to be in uh, warm Atlanta in cold November for the FabTech show. Uh, Lou, you looking forward to FabTech this year? No, I'm not going. It's going to be too hot. <laughs> no, sure. You know, if, if I get the, the right invitation and... Uh, uh, and uh, if you remember, we had our our first groupie in Atlanta. Her name is Sarah. She said she'd listen to every show. So I'm going to reach out to Sarah and say, Sarah, I'll be there in November if you are. So we'll see how that. Yeah, you know, we'll see how that when works. You, when you find a manufacturing or an economics groupie, you have to hang on to them for dear life because there's like <laughs> like three of them, you know. And, yeah, and that's right. so it, it's just every time someone comes up and says, oh, I like to read your stuff, I always want to say, oh, you're the one. Um, so it, it's, it's always it's always good, you know. But was she such a groupie that she it was a self-confession? She said, I am a groupie of your show. That's so, it. You know, that's even better. You know, that's, that's yeah. one of those things where you go back to your mother and say, see, see, I told you I'd be famous. So. I'd be famous and <laughs> successful. <laughs> yeah, I, I want to be but, careful uh, we don't cross the Me Too line here. So let's yeah, get exactly. to the credit manager. <laughs> no, no, no I, it's me. She's, you know, it's not me also. It's me too you're talking about. There you uh, go. Anyhow, uh, you've been doing a great job here. The report is uh, stellar. And uh, let's talk about it. Yes, yes. I mean, we we had a nice recovery. If you remember last month, and we're all getting to the age where that's harder to do, but last month <laughs> it was not particularly pleasant. Uh, we were looking at this really bizarre collapse in one of the categories that we call dollar collections. And it's not that this was completely unusual. I mean, we have seen that kind of, of behavior to a lesser extent in the past because dollar collections tend to be very sensitive and they're going to reflect all kinds of things. The nearest we could come up with last month was that we had seen companies paying a lot more attention to their cash flow and they were just reluctant if they could get away with it uh, to pay their creditors. And one of the things we discovered was that it was the larger companies that really had a little bit of leverage with those they had obtained credit from. The smaller companies don't have that option, but this is kind of the, the Walmartization of, of the economy. Walmart is usually so powerful as far as a client is concerned that if they want to stretch you out, you don't have a lot of choice. The good news is this month that ended and we saw dollar collections going back to normal and by and large, the index jumped um, to levels it hadn't seen for almost a year. So we're 
encouraged. You know, this is the kind of data that we were hoping to see earlier in the year. It's been an up and down pattern, if you remember how the CMI has looked. In fact, good one month, bad the next, good the next, bad the next. So right now we have a good one to talk about. We'll see what happens next month. <laughs> yes. Unless. Unknown. Unless, unless, by, unless. By the until. way, those of you, those of you who are listening, uh, if uh, Chris sounds uh, a little unusual, it's because he's recovering from uh, his uh, throat condition. So it's yes. uh, not that you have a bad connection. Yeah, exactly. You know, you're not listening to the world in, in bass and baritone anymore. If this was a different time of year, this would be very helpful because I could try out for the Grinch song. But you know, but it's June, and there's no no reason whatsoever to sound like the Grinch right now. So actually, have to get used to it. Actually, if uh, we brought back the Twilight Zone, uh, that would be a perfect voice for the Twilight Zone oh, modern day version. Yes, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so right now, it just sounds like an economist that's trying to try out for the Met or something. So it's a little like. Dick Cavett. Yeah, there you go. Dick Cavett. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that worked. So the economy, as long as you brought that up, Chris, uh, looks like what going forward? I know that Lou is on a couple of television shows. Uh, he's been talking about taxes and tariffs and what tariffs might do to terrorize our uh, economic growth. What's your sense of what the tariffs might do to uh, this booming economy, Chris? Yeah, they're not going to help. I mean, that's one <laughs> of the things that we're dealing with now is we've had a very good run uh, the first six months of the year. And if you remember, all the way back into January or December, that was one of the things we were talking about, was that this was going to be kind of a two-phase year. You know, enjoy the first six months because the next six months might not be that pleasant. And even without the tariffs and the trade talks and all of this stuff, you're beginning to see what is the forerunner of inflation. And we're starting to see consumer price index rise, the producer price index is rising, uh, the CPE is rising, the Fed is definitely now talking about anti-inflationary discussions. So all of those things combined to sort of slow the economy down. And the tax cuts were fun while they lasted, but they tended to feed into that inflation concern. So when the Fed begins to reverse track and starts to really go after inflation as it has in the past, it just inevitably slows everything down, slows the market, slows business expansion. You put on top of that the issues of the tariffs and trade wars, and it just inevitably slows things down. We're probably looking at maybe 2% growth, maybe under 2% growth in the third and fourth quarter. Not horrible, you know, not sending us into recession, but it's, it's not as robust as we've been. And while we're on the subject of recession, the economists that are looking ahead and forecasting ahead have kind of reached the conclusion that we're likely to see a good old-fashioned V-shaped short and sweet recession sometime in 2019, probably the later part of the year, or maybe 2020. Nothing that causes panic in the streets, but just kind of a 1980s-style recession where you get 
two quarters, maybe three of, of reduced growth, and then you get a recovery after that. But this all kind of feeds into that scenario. Well, Chris, it's really been great having you on our show today. Uh, <laughs> uh, we'll get back to you in 2020. Um, exactly, exactly. My, my uh, view, uh, that, which I don't have a view, I just have a good ears, uh, all, all of the economists that we've been talking to and so on, they sort of be, they're sort of uh, not firm in that kind of thinking. Others are saying, "Well, no, we're, we're going. This is going. We're going to ride this storm right into 2020, and we're going to have, uh, you know, four percent GDP and so on and so forth." And then others say, "Well, the effects of the tax, uh, quote unquote, refund or reduction, whichever your persuasion, um, is hasn't affected us yet. So there's a lot of things that we could wind up with uh, headwinds or not." So, right, and I think some, you know one of the. I was going to I was going to use my own term instead of yours, unless that's yours. Yes, on, exactly. <laughs> mine, which I've heard and stole from somebody else, is an economist who says, on one hand, it's this, and on the other hand, it's that. So it's just another version of your unless. So, well, and what it comes down to is is there are a few things that are highly predictable. Um, they're the sorts of behaviors that just you can count on. And one of those is the Fed responding to inflation because that's their job. They are limited in what they can do in terms of stimulus, which we've seen for the last 10 years. They're trying, but it's not really what they're set up to do. What they're set up to do is control inflation. And once they start to see it, and they are indeed seeing it, then the automatic response is to raise rates. And when the rates start to go up, it just inevitably has an impact on business borrowing. It has an impact on expansion. And everything that we're looking at right now is pointing in that direction. You know, we're getting higher commodity costs. We're getting, you know, and that's where the tariffs fit into this because already we're seeing oil prices having gone up. We've seen some of the metal prices go up. Well, you throw a tariff on steel and aluminum. Guess what? The prices went up. No, I didn't more. see that. Yeah, I haven't seen that. So, <laughs> yeah, no, I'm sure you haven't. Um, so, but 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 Lou, you have to take the bag off your head at some point. Um, <laughs> <laughs> or cut holes. It's the I know that it's much that more comfortable in there. Yeah, it's just it's much more comfortable in there with the bed covers pulled over. But you know, that's um, exactly right. So it's knowing that this is going to be the the response. There are certain things that that we are pretty confident in asserting because we know that that's people's jobs. What I suspect is going to happen with a lot of the trade talks, and we'll see at the end of this weekend, really what the the long term strategy is. You know, Trump makes a big deal out of being a deal maker, and he's going to be in a maker or. Deal maker or deal breaker? I didn't hear what you said. Well, little, little of both. But he's going to be for the next several days at the G7 meetings where he has ample opportunity to sit around with the other six world leaders and cut deals. So I think going into this meeting, he's kind of setting it up where if you guys want me to extend that extension, 
you know, I want this from you, I want that from you, we'll find out how good he is at doing this. I mean, I suspect that he'll get some cooperation from the Japanese, maybe even from the French, um, but what happens with the Canadians, the Germans, um, who knows, the Italians are so confused, they're not even sure where the meeting is. Um, but <laughs> the but the others, you know, you never know. Well, it's going to be interesting to see if this is a showdown or a shootout up in uh, Canada you know, I, today. I think it's probably going to be a little bit of both, but I'm, I'm literally writing about it right now where I'm saying that what we see publicly is these meetings are like an iceberg. You know, what you see on the surface is, is kind of for public consumption. It's these leaders playing to their home base. It's, it's kind of, you know, diplomatic speak. The real work is going to be done in the hallways over dinner, you know, over drinks at night. Um, it's going to be much less formal and it's impossible to know, what exactly is taking place in these private meetings, but theoretically, this is where Trump excels, that he's going to get people one-on-one, you know, he's going to have had a meeting with the Japanese prime minister before he even gets there, so it's, it's, it's going to be interesting to see. Um, we won't really know until probably weeks after the meeting, because it's, none of this will be for public consumption, unless you've got some reporter who's, you know, finagled a microphone into, into somebody's lapel. Um, but it's it's all going to be sort of hit and miss interaction. Kind of this news, we're going to have to find out and see if uh, we've been forgiven for the faux pas of the Canadians setting setting the White House on fire in the War of eighteen twelve. You know, they've apologized for that, and they keep saying that, you know, we don't even want Detroit back, so, you know, please forgive us. You know, so. okay. I'm sure they will happily sell us the wood to rebuild. Oh, absolutely. You know, absolutely. And, and, and charge us tariff. Exactly. You know, I mean, it's just the Canadians are are probably more sensitive to U.S. trade policy than any country in the world because, you know, we're pretty much it when it comes to their their export and import activity and they've been trying to broaden it over the years but just you know proximity counts and when you've got something like 80 percent of your population lives within 200 miles of the united states you know it's kind of hard to avoid us so yeah we're the big ugly group to the south yes we're south of the border the canadians right so right so i don't know uh, go ahead no, I was just going to say, so where's all this going uh, over the next uh, 90 days? I think over the next 90 days, you'll sort of see a little bit of business as usual. I think the economy will continue to show signs of strength. The, the challenges will start to appear more towards the end of the year. I mean, really, the first salvo will be in September when the Fed raises rates again. And that will kind of be an opportunity for the Fed to comment on where I think it's going to go from here. There's an outside chance, for example, that they would raise rates by a half a point instead of a quarter point, which would be a, a strong signal of anti-inflationary attitude. But at the very least, they'll talk about what else they do for the year. If they follow what they originally said, they would not be another rate increase until 2019. But in September, 
they will talk about whether or not there should be another one in December. And and that would be another signal that they've really shifted focus back to inflation. Also, by the end of the year, the elections will be over. And if they trend in a way that makes the Democrats stronger in Congress, that's going to change a lot of, of equations as far as, as what happens as we go forward because it, it begins to change the power. If the Democrats win the House or if they win the Senate or both, kind of an outside chance at this point, but not out of the realm of possibility, then you have kind of the gridlock that we've had before where you know Congress will go one way and the president will go another and and neither one of them gets very far. So, And also, the minute that these elections are over, we start to run for the 2020 election. I think Trump's already been uh, campaigning for the 2020. He's already oh, yeah. started. He never stopped. He never <laughs> stopped. I mean, you know, right. it, it's, it's, we have now, and it's not, unfortunately, it's not unusual, but most people in politics now never stop campaigning. And right. so it, it's, they really don't ever focus on actually doing the job they've been elected to. Now, you sometimes get better attention to detail in the second term of a presidency because they can't run again, except that at this point they began sort of shifting to support who the next candidate is, you know, frequently a vice president of theirs or whatever. So it's it's going to be intriguing. The big election that we'll be paying attention to between now and and then is the one in Mexico, because we now appear to be getting Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador as the next president of Mexico. And if you're not familiar with AMLO, as he is referred to, his heroes are Fidel Castro and Hugo Chavez. Mm. So we're going to have a very, very hard left president in Mexico uh, starting midsummer. Well, that, that should probably be interesting. <laughs> yeah, to I mean, lead Mexico in. To lead Mexico into the same sewer that Venezuela is in and Cuba is headed for, so yep. that'd be tragic. Yeah, it really would, and and it has all kinds of other implications. I mean, one of the things that kind of gets missed is is like the immigration issue. You know, people are always, you know, why is it strong one year and not strong the next? And the biggest corollary between illegal or legal migration and anything else is the value of the peso and the peso has been dropping like a stone so it's lost you know almost three quarters of its value in 16 months so if you're working in mexico and the peso is losing all this power if you can get any kind of work in the u.s and get paid in dollars I mean, your exchange rate is miraculous. And every time the peso falls, the pressure to come into the U.S. mounts incredibly. So that's that's one of the things that we now have to look forward to is that with the peso hitting three-year lows, it's really going to stimulate more activity coming into the U.S. Well, the administration will have to do something about immigration one way or the other. Do you think that's going to happen this year? No, I don't think it really will. Um, it's an election year, for one, so it's too volatile an issue. But you may get something that begins to develop for next year, again, depending on how the power might shift within Congress. There really is quite a bit of consensus and on both sides of the aisle to do something 
to make legal migration more responsive. I mean, people really do understand that we need workers from various parts of the world. Our labor shortage is acute, and it's getting worse all the time. And it's really becoming a concern for low-wage jobs. I mean, one of the crisis areas that we haven't talked about is elder care. You know, nursing homes, home health care, these are low-paid jobs, and they're overwhelmingly held by immigrants. And once that supply is interrupted, nursing home care either becomes very expensive or impossible to get. And so it's another crisis brewing with 10,000 boomers retiring a day. Um, It just becomes acute. And you and I have talked forever about the shortages in manufacturing jobs. I mean, it's just this week we hit that point where there are more jobs available than there are people looking for work. That presents a bit of a problem in concept. Yeah, no, it does. It does. I yes, mean, uh, yesterday, the ACLU filed a, a lawsuit uh, in court uh, against the U.S. administration for its uh, activities with regards to uh, these 11,000 children who are mm-hmm. stuck in uh, our form of concentration camp style living. Uh, which uh, is being accepted by the court. And uh, this is going to be very serious for the administration because the court yeah, is in really favor. Is. Yeah, it's, it's very bad. I mean, it, it's it's unbelievable that we're doing the same thing that we did in the Second World War with the Japanese. Well, it is one of those things where you, you don't have a really a good policy in place for legal migration, which ends up, creating a crisis in the illegal migration. I mean, the only way that countries have gotten around the illegal part is to have a a more rational legal system where, you know, people have the ability to temporarily work, you know, get permits. And and right now we're not, we're not doing a very good job of adjusting to that. I mean, the, the program that we probably most want to copy is the German guest worker, Gastarbeiters. You know, I mean, they are, in some cases, you know, 10, 15, 20 years working in Germany. But, you know, they're not Germans. They're not given citizenship, but they pay taxes and they work, but they have restraints. And the Germans basically say, no, you're here as a guest and you can work as long as we need your labor. You know, if we don't, you know, don't get comfortable, you know, because it's renewed annually and all this stuff. So, I mean, there are ways to to handle the legal side. Many of the complaints about improving uh, legal migration have come from companies in the northern part of the U.S. that resent that the companies in the southern part of the U.S. would have access to a cheaper labor force than they do. I mean, that's one of the reasons the Brickero program went away. I mean, it's worked fine in the 50s and 60s, but there was tremendous opposition from states in the north that said, well, you know, you're giving all these breaks to the Texans and the Californians. Well, the problem has something to also to do with humanity, and, <laughs> and how to tr- and how to treat uh, legals and illegal immigrants. So, that was that. Uh, yeah. So, you know, we're not we're not dealing with the issue, and I don't no. know if this is the appropriate uh, uh, venue to discuss the humanities, uh, but the point is that nobody's really doing squat. And I hope they fix it in August when 
the government is supposedly going to be working. That's a joke. Right. Yeah, They'll be using right, the exactly. senator's swimming pool at the Capitol. Well, and, and I think that, uh, you know, even if you're looking at it from a strictly economic perspective and trying to take the emotion out of it, you know, we're just we're reaching a point where other countries have been for a while, where the population is older, um, the workforce participation is way down, and you get to a point where there's not enough people in the workforce to pay for those who are out of the workforce. I mean, this coming year, Social Security is going to have to dip into its reserve fund for the first time since 1982. And, and the reason for that is simply that there are so many more people retiring as compared to people coming into the workforce. And, you know, that just is an ongoing issue. It gets worse for the next 15, 20 years because the boomers just relentlessly, I mean, almost 4 million of us retire every year. And in the old days, people would maybe draw Social Security for 10 years after retirement. Well, now the average is 30. And if I'm not mistaken, the growth of our workforce is uh, of new newbies coming into the uh, into the workforce is only 4,000 a day. So oh yeah, we have we have a 6,000 shortfall per day. Yeah. So maybe yep. maybe we ought to invent robots. I think so. I've heard they're <laughs> but, very useful. You know, I, well, that's, I've, I've, you know. Well, that's why Japan is the number one robotics country in the world. They oh, lost absolutely. a whole they lost a whole generation of of, of men uh, people and men in in the Second World War. So they had to come up with robots. Yeah, so, exactly. I mean, anyone who spends any time in Japan realizes that there's literally nothing that you can't do with with technology and robots. I mean, this is a country that sells cars through vending machines. Um, I, I, it's just, I can think of one or two, but I'm not going to go into that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But you know, unfortunately, you know, Woody Allen's gone there already. Um, and <laughs> you know, we started off talking about something that was going to get us in trouble. We may end up ending that way too. But, yeah, you know, we, we I, just might. Well, that's why we're a podcast. I, that's exactly. I mean, all of a sudden the orgasmatron comes back to mind. So. <laughs> okay. So with so with that to get us back on track for the second time, Chris, why don't you give us a wrap up of how things are are looking in the near future? I have to put glue in a corner and gag it. Hey, yeah, listen, exactly. my, my my agent has told me to be up and energetic. So I'm being energetic. Exactly. Yeah, unfortunately, it was his insurance agent, but we won't go into that. Um, so, you know, I think that, you know, kind of the recap is that we're we're going to end the year, I think, a little slower than we started it. And I think we're going to be in good shape for another few months. But then some of the collective issues will start to weigh on the economy. It's not going to throw us into complete despair, but it's going to be kind of a, a, a note of concern and it's going to be one of those things that begins to set up real concern about 2019 so my advice at the first of the year remains the same enjoy the first six months you know that's almost over because the next six months are going to be not so much fun so i hope i'm wrong i hope there's an unless in there um but at <laughs> yeah, this right. point it, it, it's looking uh it's looking like it's it's kind of following that pattern well chris as usual it's a pleasure usually a happy event uh i hope you're dead wrong uh 
and uh, yeah, exactly. we'll. And, and then, <laughs> if you are, if and when you are dead wrong next month, we're going to just crucify you for how. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Well, you just have to realize that there are certain people that just assume that I'm wrong all the time, including my wife, you know, so you just have to adopt your <laughs> attitude that anything I say is wrong. Uh, so. Yeah, but well, that's, that's usual, though. You know, yeah, that's exactly. part of the marriage vows. You will exactly. be wrong. You will honor, yep, obey, you know. and be wrong. <laughs> well, you know, the, the old adage that behind every successful man is a surprise mother-in-law, so that's... <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we'll end it on that note with a bit of uh, positive humor from our Dr. Chris Keel. Uh, Tim? We've got so many good shows at both mfgtalkradio.com and womenandmfg.com. Those are the two websites. Be sure and check them out. Come back and visit us often. We have lots of new material going up every day. By the way, we always post news articles every day. There's going to be some television interviews that are going to be posted fairly shortly. Those may pop up tomorrow. So keep in tune with MFGTalkRadio.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back with you soon, or you'll be back with us soon at our website. Thanks for listening Thanks for today. joining us on Manufacturing Talk Radio. You can hear our next broadcast each Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at MFGTalkRadio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>